Galway was an exciting place, and she and her husband-to-be took a ride on an old red bus to Barna by the sea. They'd watch seagulls, white and virgins, for everybody then was a virgin. Girls in sandals, or girls in bare feet walking the tide, girls walking on a shore. The laughter returned now. Voices hidden, seaweed sprawled like names. Autograph silences. Yes, it had been lovely come evening in Barna then. The sun swallowed in holes, orange devouring every shape, penetrating the windshield of a car, an old Fort Coupe placed along the shore. One would have expected no more Shearer to emerge. For such were the days then. You could recognise John Crawford in the face of Fanon on Salt Hill, a bony-faced nun, for the world was full of expectation. Most of all at the markets, men speaking Irish, vigil of smoke rising from clay pipes, a gangster movie playing at the Astoria, Dillinger reincarnated in the face of a draper's assistant. Yes, even sadness too, wrecked lives, men from Galway and Clare trekking to England, a long, silent march, faces that didn't know how to protest, people packing up, going towards the streets of Birmingham. I first read Des Hogan in New Irish Writing in the Irish Press when I was 10 or 11. It was a story called Blowball, and it seemed to me then a new kind of writing, full of images, an evocation of a perfect summer. Hogan wrote that story when he was 17. By the time he was 20, he'd won a Hennessy Award. His first novel, The Iconmaker, was published to acclaim in 1976, and his future seemed assured. He was central to any discussion about Irish writing. He was amongst the best and the brightest. He emigrated to London, wrote several novels and was for a time acclaimed in England. But he'd begun to drift from the centre and since he hasn't had a book published since 1995 and a farewell to Prague, he began to disappear as writers sometimes do, no longer mentioned by critics, omitted from anthologies, as if he'd been forgotten or worse, cease to exist. For just as there are parentheses within sentences, there are parentheses within our lives. Well, I, I had this uh, friend in Ballinasloe when I was a child. Uh, we used to do uh, plays about fairies and stuff. It's all a bit like Spencer's fairies, Fairy Queen. Uh, and he went and left that town when I was about 10 years old. And uh, I wrote a play shortly after that. I kind of incorporated all that uh, Elizabethan language, fairies. And then we performed our own plays in the backyards of Ballinasloe. Dracula I was, frightened a generation of little girls away by the river. And then, of course, it just didn't seem very viable that uh, a boy in Balanceau would be dressing up and wandering around the place, so that was stopped. I had to stop doing that. Then I, then I started writing little stories, little stories. Um, the library in Balanceau had Catherine Ann Porter, had Catherine Mansfield, had Scott Fitzgerald, had Willa Cather. Wonderful experiences of 
been 12 or 13 was coming across the last paragraph of Scofield's Joe's story, Absolution. The Norwegian boys and Norwegian girls lying out making love in the fields in uh, Minnesota, in the Midwest, summer nights. So it was Fitzgerald, uh, Catherine Ann Porter, whom I've read all my life, and Catherine Mansfield, whom, I read, whom I've read and stayed faithful to all my life, because those writers have never diminished from me. I read them when I was 12 and 13, and they've just grown, grown in stature. Elizabeth Bowen says that great art intensifies with time, you know. I still read Catherine Mansfield as I read, when I, as I read her when I was 12, Fitzgerald as I read her when I was 12, Catherine Ann Porter as, her, as, as I read her at 12 or 13. Willa Cather, as I read her at uh, 12 and 13. Those writers, like that quartet of writers, have stayed with me from Ballinasloe Library all my life. They've never diminished. They've been great companions. But anyway, those stories, her stories, Catherine Mansfield's stories, uh, inspired me to write little stories which were published in places like religious magazines, the Irish press. And when I was at school in Ballinasloe, my first stories were published in England in the Transatlantic Review. Like I already started getting my, my own stories published in the uh, in the Transatlantic Review, and um, there's a real sense of the university of the town. Conversations on benches like this by the river, you know, by the little canals in Banlaslow. That was a real education. What came after it was not education, you know. So it's always that one goes back to really, you know, because. Uh, when I meet kids now, I tell them not to go to university. University destroys or kills their natural, natural knowledge, you know, because I meet children by the sea in Kerry, and they have a natural curiosity and a natural knowledge. Um, <laughs> look at the peacock here. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to see a peacock. I haven't seen a peacock since I was in Prague. We hear a peacock in Newcastle West coming up and... Uh, uh, if somebody said to you, it's a notion, and to me, one of the strongest notions in your all of your work is about home, or sometimes maybe it's not home, it's the absence of home. The absence of home, yeah, because like one of my stories, Players, is probably my best story. Uh, it just says, uh, I've got it here, may I read a bit of it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm actually going to read this. In a square... There was an abundance of geraniums being sold. The sky seemed especially blue for his visit. All was happiness and change here. The past didn't exist. He was in exile by way of lack of explanations from the present. But the more he stuck about, wandering among the market produce, the farmers met the farmers uncomfortable, uncomfortable by the fact he wasn't purchasing anything, the more he knew. People did not like happiness. They distrusted happiness of the flesh more than anything. The coming together of bodies and happiness was an outrage against the sensibilities. It not only should not be allowed to exist, but they had to be murdered. If it wasn't going to unhinge them further, a swift killing could be covered up. It could be covered up forever. Only the haunted imagination would keep it alive, and that imagination would, by its nature, be driven out of society so all could feel safe. There was no home for people like Karl Mahaffey, who knew and remembered. Did you know he was here? I did not. It's a strange sight, isn't it? All right. <laughs> just, we're doing it. 
Prague just before the wall came down. Shrieking of peacocks. They make these little screams. There, you've got it, yeah? All over Prague. They're in the parks in Prague, yeah? Passing a peacock in Prague one day with a, a lady, a Czech lady, talking to her. I, I was remarking on how lovely Prague was. And she said, well, everything's lovely for a while. Looking at peacock in Prague. And then the wall came down. And I returned to Prague, and it was just when John Paul II was visiting Prague, June 1990. Uh, tomorrow comes to Holy Father, they would say. And um, there's a party that night. I met some young kids in, in Prague, and I went to their party. And uh, they were playing 50s music, Buddy Holly. And uh, boy, his wife was pregnant, his new wife was pregnant. He pointed out a walnut tree in a garden. His mother had sown it when he was born. It was grown now, it was raining. It was a very hesitant rain. And uh, his mother now was married to somebody else, a communist official in the country. And John Paul II passed outside. Stejvika, the road to the airport in Prague. I never went back to Prague after that, it was June 1990. But I used to go there um, frequently, the end of the 80s, and uh, walk in little parks like this, and hear the peacocks. It was life, it was uh, a world of childhood. It's a war 50s clothes at the end of the 80s in Prague, you would have seen it in East Berlin, yeah. 50 stars, uh, the ladies with their peep toe shoes, uh, waltzes and tangos in the park, La Paloma, I think it was Carmen Miranda's song, La Paloma, just the accordionist playing it around Rensselaer Square at night. It was childhood revisited. East Berlin, Leningrad, Prague, at the end of the 1980s. All the styles, all the fashions, the ice cream parlors. Edmund Wilson said when he went to Russia, it was of Proust, he was reminded. I could really see that when I went to Eastern Europe at the end of the 1980s. But uh, not, not after about 1990. Proust was gone. <laughs> A perfect field by a saucer-shaped lake, dark and placid, the whole place buzzing with life, the lake like a lake from a story. The dog's tooth violet, the scurvy grass, the black cord grass, the black bog rush, the sea mugworth, the purple saxifrage, the burnet roses, and the cold tits among them, the comfrey that turns from white to blue. Later, the fleabane among the Mungbrisha, the woundworth. By the river, it's like listening to gossip, <laughs> the names of the flowers. The other day, I met a flower that I never knew before, the wood sorrel, where it's enlarged. Shamrock, 
leaf, three-cornered lake, the wood anemone, the Spanish bluebell by the river, the, um, the campion, white campion, red campion, the wild garlic. It's, it's a line by an English poet, Francis Horovitz, who died very young. I shall not be forgetful this year. I shall not forget to see the wild garlic blossom as I did last May and the May before. Tell me about home again. Tell me about home, starting in whatever feeling you had about home in Ballinasloe. Well, you see, going to the southern states was rediscovering, you know, the west of Ireland. Uh, as I said, like, I, I started reading... Um, when I started reading, I read people like Catherine Porter, southern states, Texas, East Texas. And going to the southern states was... Uh, it was another kind of version of, of Prague, in a sense, because time had stood still there as well. You know, the, the 1950s stars were there, Alabama, the, the main boulevard, um, the zoot suits, the kipper ties, yeah. It was recreated. And um, Alabama, Eastern Europe, were almost a synonymous experience of finding home again, yeah. The, the 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 clothes that had been uh, stuck late fifties early sixties yeah the styles all that was wiped out somewhere in the nineteen nineties the world's become a very homogeneous place so uh, home now is the nomenclature of flowers <laughs> rather than any place yeah but if you lived for a long time in London, I think you particularly lived in South London for a long time, was that ever home? No, London was just a bricolage of places you could, with easy access. Cheap air tickets, trains. I don't think London was ever home, really, yeah. It was always just a bus station and um, a transient place, although you lived there for many years, you know. But it gave access to all kinds of parts of the world, you know cheap tickets um, no, I travelled a great deal from from London But when you went there first you were a writer with a, a growing reputation and it was a place for writers to be I assume Well, you run away, like, I mean, I'm, it's just like the characters, you run away, like you write about, so they're kind of parallel lives, they're the lives that sort of, uh, you've projected your own situation onto, you know, you don't know what you're running, you don't know why exactly you're running away, but, uh, um, swan on the lake, a few swans in the lake, the cuckoo flowers, the cow flips. The Comfrey. Describe London when you went to us. L lived in a street of squats um, near an Irish butcher. Uh, 
who sells Mikado Kimberly biscuits with the uh, in a shop. Um, a fat boy and a thin boy were having a bath and a squat one night together when the ceiling fell down on top of them. People, the boys were had Palmer's haircuts, like Crusaders, Crusaders haircuts. Um, wore Dalmatics. Um, did incantatory dances. What about your own family growing up? Well, where we were sitting this morning, the bench, the, the town park bench was the sort of asylum, you know, the university, the escape, the conversations, you know, which you've always got to go back to, you know, because what came after it was, in some ways, Lillian Smith's phrase, uh, killers of the dream, you know. you just got to go back to that in a way. Benjamin, Eastern Europe, returning to tradition, to... To, to the oral tradition, to um, you know, my friend when I was growing up said television killed the story in Ireland. Um, I'm going to read the end of Clarus now because I read the beginning. Of it. I beg your pardon, Mr. Mahathy. A voice said, "We respect you. You brought art to the town. You'll go down in history. You can't say anything to history." You can't say anything to history. With that, he turned his back and went off. What had he been saying? That Mr. Mahathy could not be impugned because he was part of history, part of the history books like Patrick Pierce and Cúhollán. But there were others who were not quite so fortunate. Mr. Mahathy looked after the man and knew that he would not be coming back to this town again. The following summer, before the new season, Mr. Mahathy had a heart attack in Blackrock Baths in Dublin while walking on the wall which separated the open-air pool from the grey Irish sea. He looked an exultant figure in his bathing togs before the heart attack, standing up there, stretching his body for all the children to see. But anyway, Mr. Mahathy's life's work had become irrelevant in Shona Barrett's town. A few years before, on a New Year's Eve, when snow was falling, screens lit up all over the town with their own snow to mark the first transmission by Irish television. Why did you come back here? See, the world after the wall came down, you know, like, it became a nightmare world, didn't it, you know? countries break up like I saw it all happening the wars you know like I got a train to Leningrad just very shortly before the last coup Russian coup you know just before communism went forever and you see I saw all this happening I was in St. Petersburg the day the 2nd of January 1992 when prices went up 50 times you know like I saw, I saw history happening all over again you know I walked and walked then through Czechoslovakia, Lithuania, Poland. Early summer, um, just before the uh, communism went forever, 
through Masasha in northeast Poland, just before you go in, the, the harrows, the hayfields, the vir Virgin Marys with the blonde, the blonde hair. Um, now they come here, the Polish people, you know, to the west, you know. They're on the beaches when you go down the beaches, you know. They, um, Did you come back because you felt there was nowhere else to go? So I was living, always when I was living away, like in London, like, life was a series of, series of postcards on the wall, you know, <laughs> lit up by an angle poised lamp, you know, chiaroscuro. Um, it wasn't a real place. Elizabeth Bowen, writing about Catherine Mansfield, said that people who are alone in London usually retreat into a self-fabulated world, you know. So perhaps that's what it was for you, a self-fabulated world. Um, the only reality being the postcards on the wall and then the, um, the journeys you made to, to uh, validify those postcards to Italy. To Portugal, to Spain, to the Southern States, to Poland, Lithuania, Russia. Like the years, you see, I lived in Germany then, on and off. Like you know, from 1991, early 1991 to 1994, I lived you know half the year in Berlin, from one place to another, one room to another in Berlin, and. Um, so Berlin became the ultimate city, you know. And then my last visit here, it was just before I returned to Ireland. I, I got a bicycle in Amsterdam at the end of January, 10 years ago, and cycled through Jewish Amsterdam, the old Israelite hospital, with the blue and green pelican outside, the emblem of the blue and green pelican feeding its blood to its young. The Jewish council building. There was then an acupuncturist and a filmmaker in it. Down to past a, a barge, which was a hospital for cats, I think, or a cat barge. There were just cats on it. To Eddie Hilsom's house. It's now a KLM building. Eddie Hilsom keeping a diary of the occupation. She was murdered in Auschwitz in December 1943. Before she left Amsterdam for East, she just walked and walked in the old city that had been so hospitable to the Jewish people, and let the old streets be inscribed in her. And that's what I was doing myself, was walking and walking through Prague or St. Petersburg or Amsterdam, inscribing the streets of myself before coming back to the west of Ireland. Now those streets are gone forever, you know. One city is almost the same as another, the main streets, you know. Overnight all this happened, yeah. And um... When you came back here, was what you saw, what you expected to see? Well, I just came to places like this, you know. I went back to the river, you know. 
I skewed all else, you know, the swans, just as now, you know, were my companions. And um, the river. And how would you place yourself as a writer in a community of writers? Well, I don't, because, you know, I've had, you know... Well, it's just like that sentence I read. Um, from players. There was no home for people like Cotton Mahathy who knew and remembered. So do you feel at a loss for a home, then? Well, this is the only home I know, like, you know, by the lake now, you know, places like this, with the swan out there, the cuckoo flowers in the fields, the hawthorn in blossom. It's really magnificent in... in, in come, come, it's, it's a sentence of Ezra Pound's cometh the beauty of berries, but cometh the beauty of berries in West Limerick. It is really magnificent. The red berries are the golden rose. The haws, the slows, the purple berries of the dogwood, the roan tree berries. It's just, this, this is becoming really, really sanguine, red or purple, you know. And that was my first impression of being back in Ireland, really, was just swimming in the river with the, um, one day I was carried along by a current and uh, just managed to get out. Gelder rose berries, bush of gelder rose. In the autumn, these fields would just be scarlet, cardinal red, with berries. That was my really first... Um, if there was a home, it was in these fields. The berries, the river, the lake. As you see now, the swans. You know, the sort of perception of you would be that as a writer which you have a question mark over in any case, that you disappeared about ten years ago and that you're reappearing now. Certainly I put a question mark here. <laughs> Go back to the question mark, that's what it's all about. Ronaldo Arenas, the Cuban writer, who went into exile in the United States, he says once you're going to exile you become a ghost, a shadow, yeah. You walk out of your real self, and that's what he felt about, about leaving Cuba. Um, being an exile, he said, was a search for a face. And that's what those stories are about, the icon makers about. The stories in Loxex, you and all, the search for a face. But you don't need to leave your country to do that. Perhaps there are no countries left anymore. That's the point I've been making. I was trying to make in a farewell to Prague. That uh, you go searching the countries of Eastern Europe and you just reconstruct the country of childhood, you know, or the country of ancestry, ancestral memories. You turn a street corner in Prague and you're in London in the 1940s. In London in the 1940s, please, you were never in. Ancestral voices begin to speak, yeah. It's, um... The junk stores of... Berlin, going through the old postcards or old high heels or whatever. Um, bits of clothes, you know, I put it all into that book. I was able to clothe memory with the junk stores 
the bric-a-brac of the junk stores of Berlin. Are you glad you came back? Well, I'm glad to be here in this field, you know, <laughs> with the swans and, and the lake and the hawthorn and the cuckoo flowers and the cowslips, you know. Um, no one could not be glad of that, could they, you know? No one could not cherish that. Uh, um, you just feel privileged to be to be here just now. And, um, and it's beautiful, peaceful place that we've had to climb over electric wires to get to, or climb under electric wires and over, you know, barbed wire to actually get to. Um, that's part of the charm of the West of Ireland being expelled by druidic farmers from their land. Told you, you have ten minutes to leave, you know, and then hiding behind a hawthorn bush and coming back when he's gone, you know. It's full of no trespasser signs, you know. The most beautiful parts of the West of Ireland are sort of cordoned off by no trespasser signs, you know. The actual nondescript parts are given to the tourists, but then you just where some a place becomes an apotheosis, there's no trespasser sign. So you've got to brave the low to actually see the land, you know. This must have been a very silent place to come to after Prague, Berlin, London even. Oh, you can feel the silence now. You can hear the silence. Um, Just as there are parentheses within sentences, so there are parentheses within our lives. What there are are images and fractured narrative. Armed with addresses my mother had given me, perhaps boyfriends. She'd listened to Schlieven and Monway. Then they used to lay the planks down at the crossroads, for the crossroad dances. Dance to Schlieven and Monway. There was Tipsy Cake. Do you remember Tipsy Cake? No. You don't know. I think it was Pink Icy, almond paste, and uh, a base moistened by cocoa syrup. It was a great favourite, Irish favourite then. It was the dream of the Middle Ages, the park bench in Bellinuslow. There was constant travel. Mrs. Wyeth's America. I went into a bar the previous night, asked for some wine, and a woman shrieked at me, waving none of the hard stuff going to the Midwest, going into those bars where Bing Crosby grooms on a jukebox. And in Berlin, there were Turkish workers dressed in carob-coloured suits. Juniper trees, the Lupins, to St. Petersburg. They were playing Gunnar's Ave Maria. At midsummer night, St. Petersburg, top of one of those 18th century houses, blasting it out, blaring it out, all over the streets.
Do you keep your horses in there? Well, sometimes I, there's one got missing them. Haggard for the horse, isn't that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, the field is haggard for the horse. What yeah. kind of horse is it? A brown and white one. A brown and white one. That's skewbald, isn't it? Yeah. There's loads of horses around here. They have the piebald, the skewbald, the Clydesdales, the strawberry roans, the Appalachias, yeah? They're yeah. white, red and brown speckled. Yep. The still greys, they're kind of flea-bitten, it's called, too. They've yep. got uh, the wild Arabians, the um, uh, Spanish Mustangs, the American Mustangs, the Anglo-Russians. Great horses. Well, and yours is a skewbald? Yeah. And you keep them in this field? Well, uh, not really. It's just there's no ditch there and he might have jumped over it. Yeah. They're yeah, funny horses, aren't they? Because sometimes they stay, they don't wander, isn't yeah, that right? Yeah, someone says sometimes they only run around the old fields, you know, they you know, mess around like, with each other horses. Do you swim the horse? Well, yeah. Where do you swim him? Well, it depends. No, where the river is, down in... In the Yarra? Yeah. Down, down here? Is it yeah, not down there. Down there. Would, would, would that be not too shallow to swim the horse now? Well, sometimes we, be a bit we shallow. walk him in. We just go up in the back and we walk him in. You walk them in, yeah. yeah. Last Sunday in Bale, I saw them with the sulkies, you know, they were swimming the horses out there, you know, yeah, where, where the Shannon goes into the sea. But they swim a lot in the deal, don't they? Yeah. Now, what, do you play soccer? Yeah. Yeah, two of us. If soccer, yeah. They're very fond of soccer around here. Yeah. What's written on the, what's written on the jersey? Yeah. World Cup um, 2002. Yeah. Who's your favourite soccer star? Uh, no, um, Manchester United. But who's, the, who's your star? Roy Keane. Oh, Roy Keane, from Cork, yeah. yeah? Is that why you like him, because he's from Cork? Yeah. Yeah? And what about Gary Breen? Do you like Gary Breen? Well, I don't really know half soccer players. I just play soccer myself. Oh, you just play soccer. And yeah. do you play soccer as well? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Gary Breen's from the West, isn't he? Yeah. His, his father's from Kerry and his mother's from Clare. So he's a soccer player from the West of Ireland, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, although he grew up in London. And you know the story about Gary Breen? It's really extraordinary because I'll tell you now the story of Gary Breen. When he was a child, he got a growth in his back and he was in hospital for a year. And the doctors told his parents in Kentish Town in London that he would never play football again. But within a few years, it just shows you now, he'd signed up for Gillingham. But then he went on to be, uh, to be a world-famous soccer star. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll let it go there, yeah. I won't hold you up. But that's very interesting, kids, yeah. Hi. Yeah. Thanks. When the storyteller is loyal, eternally loyal to the story, then in the end, the silence will speak. But for those who have betrayed a story, silence will be but emptiness. How do you betray a story? One feels the story's betrayed very much in the world we live in, you know. The story's been betrayed. Don't you feel that? How? People are embarrassed by narratives. They're embarrassed by stories now. It's partly the death of language, you know. People are embarrassed by language. Mammon has taken over, yeah? 
It's as my friend said when I was growing up, well, television came and it killed the story to a large extent as he knew it in Ireland, you know. So always it was, it was returning, going back to find where the story is, where it still exists. It's the middle of the 21st century and someone's gone for a walk and everybody's, there's nobody in the streets because they're all watching TV, channel 567, and a police car stops and asks what, Ask him what he is, what's his profession. He says, a writer. Well, that's no profession. People are all watching television, so there are no books anymore. Do you have a wife? No. Do you have a television? No. Get into the car and we'll take you to the Institute. The Institute for Research into Psychotic Disorders. And you feel it now, don't you? But it's fighting for the story, for the... Fighting how? Well, you try to go where, where, where there is still language, like in the voices of children, yeah, just now, yeah. Do you feel you're starting over again in mm. some way? Yes, of course I am, you know, because uh, um, I couldn't deal with their world, their mammon, so I said no to it. Prices that went up six times overnight, I said no. Whatever the loss is, you must go back. And uh, But in a sense, they're almost unavoidable if you want to write, unless you just write for yourself. Well, I've just told you, like, you know, like the, the London magazine, you know, have just published a little magazine in England, they've just published a story, so you don't have to meet them at all. No. You don't. No, you don't. That, that isn't true. There's other, not many, but some of the outlets do exist. So, yeah. And would you ever think about going back to England, London again? Or? I couldn't face crowds. I just can't, couldn't face crowds. No. At the end of that story, Blowball, the central character Bubbles emigrates with her family to England. Wasn't Jesus very good to die for us, she says. Summer, Hogan wrote, was almost forgotten and her departure was of little significance. She just slipped away. Just as I think now, like he would like to do himself, leaving the characters to do the speaking for him. But there was one more question, as he turned away from me. So you relatively happy where you are? Look at the rocket, look, masses of rockets, you know, it's called a rocket. Just masses of it. And this is very peculiar to West Limit. You see it along the deal, you know, just just becomes yellow with a rocket. And they, um, um, where, where they swim the horses, you know, and then it flows down a river. So sometimes the river becomes entirely yellow with rocket at, at this time of year. But you, you can see it, just how rich the, the landscape is, the land is yielding this yellow and then it flows down the river so it all becomes and then you see the traveller young traveller men with their babies all their babies by the, by the river as the uh, as the rocket flows down I think we'll hold it there you know, just, we'll probably have to go down to the river.